0: Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, truly we bless you. We don't even know how to say those words, Lord, because it truly is you who bless us. Father, we pray that in Christ, our lives, our worship would bless you. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, may we truly bless your holy name. Father, may we not forget all your benefits. That you do not always chide, do not retain your anger forever, that you are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger. And plenteous in mercy. I pray, Father, that you would bless us in your word today. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look with me in your scriptures to John chapter 7? John chapter 7. going to be looking at verses 37 to 38. Now, if you were here last week, Dr. David Sadaka was with us from Chosen People's Ministries. I hope you were blessed by his ministry, both on Sunday and then on Monday night as well. And he spoke to us about the fall feasts of Israel and all the different things that were pictured in them and fulfilled in Christ. And as we've been going through John in chapter 7, we've been looking at what happened in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths. And David talked about that last week, and some of the pictures in the Feast of Booths. So it's very providential we get to the text where we are today. And we look at two verses. Now you remember, in the chapter previous... Jesus was kind of excoriated by his brethren, his brothers. They said, you know, come with us to Jerusalem, and no one does all these things unless he wants to be known publicly, come and make a spectacle of yourself, dazzle the crowds, and Jesus just defers, and he comes privately later. He shows up at booths. And people are talking about him. They are murmuring among themselves, and they are muttering, who is this man? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? And there was much debate in those first days of the feast. Remember, it's a seven-day feast. And we already looked at a lot of the events that went on during that time of murmuring and muttering as the crowd is wondering, who is this man, Jesus of Nazareth? And then we see in verse 37, and David read these verses last week, and today we'll go deeper into them. It is on the last day of the feast, the great day. Now remember, it was on the last day of the feast, the great day, this year that Hamas unleashed its terror on Israel. It's on that day, this day of great celebration. Remember how David talked about that? How this is like the high point of the Jewish year. And it is on that day, the great day of the feast... Jesus stood up and cries out as the high priest has been returning from the pool of Siloam where he has drawn water as a picture that we'll look at in a few minutes to be poured out upon the altar in the holy place, before the holy place. Jesus stands up and he cries out, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever, notice that word, whoever, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has already said, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but the Greek word there is not heart. It's actually the word stomach or belly, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it's just a reference to his innermost being. And that's why, like in my Bible, the ESV, it just translates it with the word heart. Because many times in Scripture, that word heart is not there again in anatomical term. It's just talking about the seat of our being. And he's saying here, out of his innermost being, out of the seed of his being as a person, will flow rivers of living water. Now, and then this is John's inspired explanation. Obviously, verse 39 are not the words of Jesus, but they are John's explanation of what Jesus meant by what he just said. When Jesus said out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, John is telling us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what Jesus was meaning by what he said. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Jesus were to receive. For as yet... The Spirit had not been given. And why had He not yet been given? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's a lot of th- things in this passage, these two verses that we've got to unpack this morning. So here's where we're going as we look at this. Number one, we're going to start by talking about the context. We're just going to look at what was the great day of the feast, and we're going to talk about booths or tabernacles again for just a minute and then we're going to look at this call and we're not going to do it very long but Jesus just stands up as the priest is returning with this celebration they have they have drawn water from the pool of Siloam and they are returning to the temple And the whole nation is riveted in this high point of the Jewish year and celebration. And in that moment, Jesus stands up and he cries out. And he cries out with an invitation and a declaration. The invitation is if you're thirsty, come to me, come to me and drink. That is his invitation. And then he makes a declaration. And in that declaration is a promise. Whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me and drinks of me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then we see John's inspired explanation. There's really a doctrinal piece to this that is very important. Jesus has not yet ascended to the throne. He is not seated on the right hand of the Father in his glory. And so the Spirit has not been sent from the Father to earth in the same way that he was sent on the day of Pentecost. Now, does that mean that the Spirit was not present? Was the Spirit just up in heaven? Well, no, we know that the Spirit of God is omnipresent all the time. In the creation week, right, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and it was void. It was empty. But what happened? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So was the Spirit not here? What does this mean? And how does this relate to us? That's where we go today. Let's start by talking about three IMs in the Gospel of John that relate to Jesus, and are related to us in the context of what happened to Israel when they were in the wilderness. Now, there are seven I am statements in the book of John. We're going to see when we get to chapter 10, for instance. Jesus is going to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep seven I am statements, but there are three of them in the book of John that are tied to the wilderness experience. So they are very apropos for Jesus to use at the time of tabernacles. Because the tabernacles, the booths, the celebration of that festival all relates to the wilderness wanderings of Israel. So there are three statements. The first one is in chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And you will remember, he there relates that to manna. Because the people of Israel are saying, you know, Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. What do you do for us? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he fed them. He fed the 5,000 on the hill of Galilee. In chapter 7, Jesus says, I am the river of life. Come to me and drink. Now, this is a clear reminder of the waters of Meribah in Exodus 7, and in the book of Numbers. We'll look at that in a few minutes, because that Meribah... By the way, Meribah means complaining. Complaining. It is the waters of complaining. The Israelites were complaining. And Moses named this place Meribah because it was there that God told him, take your rod and strike the rock, and what will come out of the rock? Rivers of water. And two million people drank it. When we think of Maribah, don't think about a little seep coming out of a hillside where maybe a cow could get a drink. When you think of the waters of Maribah, think about a river coming out of a rock so two million people in the desert could drink. If it was just a seep, it would just go back back in the ground, wouldn't it? I mean, you've got to have a lot of volume of water for it to soak up the ground in the desert quickly and for that many people to get a drink and their livestock. This is a great miracle, and Jesus says, I am the river of life, not Meribah. I am. Chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And this is going to refer to the Shekinah glory cloud, and we will see that these two things relate specifically to tabernacles. Now we talked about booths; that's what's called the feast of booths. We talked about the tent. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, and then David talked about it last week. So I got go, I'm just going to run through this. We're not going to take long with this, but I want to remind you something. This is the timing of, of booths is when harvest is complete in Israel. It is also the feast of tents, and that is to remind them of God's provision in the wilderness when they wandered for 40 years and they all lived in tents. I mean, how many are like, nobody goes and stays out in a tent anymore. Everybody goes out in an RV, right? Everybody goes out in an RV and has their Starlink and their satellite dish and, you know, everything else, and, you know, we, we, I mean, we, we live high off the hog when we go camping anymore in America. I don't even know why we call it camping. They lived in a tent, and they did it for 40 years. No wonder they called it Maribah. Can you imagine living in a tent for 40 years? God wants them to remember his provisions when they lived that way for 40 years in the wilderness. They do it every year at the Feast of Tents. And it is a time of thanksgiving. Thank offerings of worship and gratitude. That's what's going on in Israel at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there are two main ritual ceremonies. We already talked about these, so we'll do it real quick. The first one is the lighting of the lamps. And this is a reminder to Israel that when they were in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory cloud of God led them. He went before them. When he wanted them to stay put, he stayed put. When God wanted them to move, the Shekinah glory cloud went ahead of them. It stood between them and Egypt when the armies of Pharaoh want to destroy them and protect them at night so they can get across the Red Sea. And then the Shekinah glory cloud lifts, and all the armies of Pharaoh go into the Red Sea and they drown. And so the lighting of the lamps is a reminder to them of the Shekinah glory cloud that directed them in the wilderness. And then there is the ceremonial drawing of water from the pool of Siloam. And this is a reminder to them that in the wilderness when they had no water and they were thirsty and they thought they were going to die, God opened the fountains of the deep in the wilderness and gave them drink. So this is what's happening at booths. Let's think about the call real quick. It is on that great day of the feast. The high priest has gone in procession. There is singing. There is the singing of the Hillels. That portion of the Psalter that relates to the Feast of Israel. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they are singing and they are dancing and they are waving palm branches. And the children are excited. And as they come by and they are ready to enter the temple, Jesus stands up and with a loud voice cries out, If any of you is thirsty, don't look to Siloam. Don't look to the waters of Meribah again. Come to me and drink. All this hits them in the face. This hits them in the face. This is the high day of the Jewish year. The celebration and remembrance of all that has gone before. If any of you are thirsty, come to me. Reminds me of in Proverbs chapter 1. It says, wisdom has taken its stand. It cries out in the marketplace. Oh, you simple ones, how long will you love simplicity? Oh, you foolish ones, how long will you love being a fool? Come to me and have life. And Jesus, in the very same way, is standing before the crowds, and he says, you're looking for life in everything but me. And if you really want to have satisfaction, you want that longing of your soul satisfied, don't go to Maribah, Don't go to drugs. Don't go to alcohol. Don't go to sex. Don't go to religion. All the various ways that we as human beings look for satisfaction in life and to have that thirst of the soul satisfied. Jesus don't go there. Come to me. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to all of us. If you are thirsty, Jesus says, come to me. All this reminds me, Jesus so many times gives invitations to crowds. He does it in Matthew. How many of you are weary and are heavy laden? Come to me. My burden is light, I will give you rest. These are the words of Jesus, our Savior, it's a word of invitation. And so we see that as we go along. We see there is an invitation and a declaration. The first thing I want you to notice is he says, whoever. He's telling us it's not an exclusive club. Uh, This thing that we're talking about is not for the high priest. It's not just for the Levites or the descendants of Aaron. Aaron. As we see later, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for we were all baptized by one spirit, all of us who believe in Jesus, and we were put in one body, whether we are a Jew or a Greek, whether we are a slave, or whether we are free, and we were all made to what? Notice that picture again. Take a drink. of One spirit. The spirit of Jesus. Come to me and drink. It's not an exclusive club. It's not for the mighty. It's not for the wealthy. In fact, there are many, not many, who are mighty chosen. Right? Paul said, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the mighty. The weak and the things that are, you know, people are ashamed of. Those are the people that Jesus calls. So it's not an exclusive club. This invitation is to all. If it is in your heart to come to Jesus, come, and you will get a drink, and that drink will never go away. It will stay with your soul. Now, as we're looking at this, Jesus says out of his, in this declaration, he says, if you come to me and you drink of me, Out of your innermost being, something will happen. Now, this is an interesting word. It's actually the word for belly. And it's not, though, a specific anatomic term. It's not like when Jesus says this, he's like thinking of a specific part of your anatomy. Like saying, you know, the Holy Spirit resides in your stomach. Okay? He's just, the word is a a Greek word which is kind of, Generally means a cavity, and so not not a tooth cavity, but a cavity of your body. And depending on the gender, it sometimes, many times in the scripture, is just the word for a womb. So when it's talking about the word, when he's talking about a woman, it uses this word, the belly, to refer to what it is. So he's not talking specifically anatomically. He's just telling us it is out of our innermost being, out of the depth of our soul, out of the depth of our being, that something happens. The Spirit of God flows, the river of life. And so the promise is, it will flow. He will flow from us. Here's the picture. Now, this is the book of Exodus. Let's just look at it real quickly. In Exodus chapter 7, by the way, there are two occurrences of this, isn't there? One is in Exodus and one is in Numbers. One is the first generation that comes out. And the second times it happens is as that generation is dying in the wilderness and there is a replacement generation arising that is going to go into the promised land. Right? Because everybody that was older died in the wilderness. And it was only those young ones who were really innocent of the transgression who God allowed to go into the promised land. So it is that generation that gets this miracle again. The first time and then the second time. The first time God instructed Moses to do what to the rock? We'll see it in the text. Take his rod and strike it. The second time, God told Moses to do what? Remember? Speak. Did Moses do it? No. Did God still bring out the water? Yes. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Moses disobeyed God, but God still used him to provide for his people. But Moses paid a price. What was that price? He died in the wilderness. He didn't go get, get to go in and see the promised land, neither him nor Aaron. Now, why did God tell him to strike it the first time and speak to it the second time? All these things are pictures. Here's the reason. The first time, the rock, Jesus Christ, was stricken for our sin. And from him came living water. And that only could happen one time. From then on out, if you want water from the rock, what happens? All you got to do is speak to him. All you got to do is speak to him. And he gives you that blessing. Jesus was struck once. So Moses, in one sense, destroys the picture by his disobedience. Now. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin. They were moving from one place to the next, according to the Lord's command, and they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained. Wow. It's kind of like all of us. Give us water to drink. Moses says, why are you complaining to me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. Now, think again. They were thirsty. And Jesus just told us, if you're thirsty, come to me. People thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff that you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah. Because the Israel's complained, and because they tested the Lord, Massa is testing, Meribah is complaining. So it is called Massa and Meribah. Because it was there they tested the Lord, saying, "Is the Lord among us or not?" Look with me just real briefly at First Corinthians chapter ten. Paul is writing here, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that our fathers, the fathers of Israel, were all under the Shekinah glory cloud. They all went through the Red Sea. So in that, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, which was the water at Meribah. For they drank from a spiritual rock. Now, this is what we're talking about in John 7, the picture of it, a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. He goes on and he talks about all of that in chapter 10, how they displeased the Lord. But the point to make here is they drank, this is a picture we see, they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus. Here's the promise. And I want to, this is pretty cool. There is a huge alteration that happens to your character and my character because of Jesus. In Mark chapter 7, we find in the Scripture, let me just lay the context there again for a minute. Jesus' followers are not washing their hands ceremonially when they eat. Doesn't mean it's not hygiene, it's ceremony. And the Pharisees are ticked off. Why are they doing that? They come to Jesus and say, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus says, look, let me tell you something. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what? What flows out of him. And what flows out of him is every manner of evil thing. And Jesus gives a big list telling us this. Naturally, what flows out of us? What's in our heart? Is it goodness, kindness? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith? No, it's all the works of the flesh. That's what naturally flows out of us. But when we come to Jesus and we get a drink, what flows out of us then because of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against these there is no law. Think of that tremendous alteration that happens to your character and my character. And it's not because we just learn to be better people. It's not just because all of a sudden, you know, I, I just I feel really bad about the fact that I, I, I have, have this problem. And so I'm going to learn to manage it better. No, no, that's not what it is. What happens is this. You drink of Jesus, and the Spirit comes to live within you, and you submit to his filling and his power, and from us flows, not dirt and scum and algae, rivers of living water. That is a magnificent alteration that happens to our character because of Jesus. Now, what does this refer to? I'll do this really quick. Okay, this is a verb. The verb is real. To flow. The noun form of that word is a word, "rema," and it speaks of a spoken word. This verb is used 22 times in the New Testament. 21 times it is is just the verb to speak. So when you speak, something is flowing out of your mouth, right? And so Jesus is using this verb to think not of just actions we do. He's using this word to really talk about what comes out of our mouth. The words we speak. That the words we speak are living water. So 21 times in Matthew, it is used, and it is always this phrase, as was spoken by the prophet. As was spoken by the prophet. And the word then in those contexts speaks of the flowing words of prophetic utterance. And I want to think how this relates to the work of the Holy Spirit. What does this refer to? In this, Jesus is telling us in the new dispensation, prophetic ministry will not be limited to the few, but it will be the norm among believers. What Jesus is saying, if you believe in me and my spirit lives within you, it will become the norm for you to have a prophetic ministry ministry. So what does that mean? Acts chapter two and Joel chapter two and first Corinthians fourteen, we're going to do this real quick. In Acts chapter two, it tells us that on that day when Jesus after Jesus was glorified, what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit came. Peter stands up with the eleven, he raises his voice, he says to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Judah uh, Jerusalem, let me explain to you what happened here. These people aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And then notice this, I will even pour out my spirit on my male and my female slaves in those days, and they will do what? Prophesy. So what Jesus is saying is, out of your belly will flow a ministry of the prophetic word. And Peter says that's what's happening here, what Jesus said in John 7. 1 Corinthians 14. So what is prophecy? Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Okay? We want to love, and we should desire to have spiritual gifts. But what does he say? Above everything else, pursue prophecy. For the person who speaks in another language, he's just talking about sometimes it's called tongues, but it's the word language. When someone else speaks in a foreign language that they don't know, they're not speaking to other men. You know, if I'm standing up here speaking in Farsi, you don't know what I'm saying. I'm not speaking to you. I'm only speaking to God because no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. They're mysteries because no one understands what he's saying that's in the crowd unless there's an interpreter. But the person, notice this, but the person who prophesies, okay, so what is prophecy? It is speaking to people for their what? Edification, that's to build them up in the face, their encouragement, and their consolation. There's nothing in those three words that speaks of me standing up in front of you and foretelling the future, right? Coming to you and saying, I got a prophetic message for you. Tomorrow you're going to have a car accident and you know, you better be ready for, the, for that. No, okay, that's not what we're saying here. This prophetic ministry that Jesus is calling us to when the Spirit lives within us is not that His Spirit is going to give us some ability to foretell the future. No, it is to speak the Word of God for what? Encouragement, edification, and growth. That is the gift of prophecy, the way we understand it in Scripture. So what is this? What is the prophetic ministry that you are called to? It's simply this. It's not the giving of new revelation from God. You know, God's not going to come to you on a mountain. Some angel's not going to come to you and give you a new message. That's what he's saying here. This is not the giving of new revelation from God, but it is the Spirit-induced and empowered proclamation of Scripture to the specific need of the moment. And you know when that's happened in your life when you all of a sudden are talking to somebody and God gives you a verse for them. That didn't come from you. It came from the Spirit, and it flows out of you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Sometimes you don't even know when that happened, right? You're just talking to other people, and they know. They heard from God through you because rivers of living water flowed out of you, even when you didn't know it. So this is not like some mystical thing like, you know, if we're all walking in the Spirit, you know, God's going to give me all these new messages for other people and all these revelations. Don't, you know, if you want to be used by God to bless other people, get to know this book better, and the Spirit of God will use this book to flow out of you to minister to the needs of other people. That's what he's talking about here. So there's an important doctrinal understanding and we quit although God's Spirit has always been omnipresent, although God's Spirit empowered people in specific ways and for specific purposes in the Old Covenant, in the New Covenant, all believers in Jesus will receive the permanent indwelling of the Spirit. And we will also receive, and I want you to notice this, the contingent empowering and I put the word contingent there it's be a very important word. His presence in your life is permanent when you became a believer. He is the seal of your inheritance. You will not lose him. He is within you. That dwelling, indwelling, does not rely on your merit. But this word, his empowering, to some degree does. Because we can grieve him, and we can quench him. And that is why he says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine. That is dissipation, it's excess. Be filled with the Spirit. If you get drunk with wine, you are under the control of the wine. You made the decision to get drunk. When you got drunk, you lost control. In a similar way he says this, you make a decision to be filled with the spirit. How do you do that? By submitting to him. By yielding to. Him. And then he controls. Just as the alcohol does when someone is drunk. So there is a contingent empowering. So God's spirit his indwelling is immediate whoever believes. His indwelling is indiscriminate. It is whoever. It's not an exclusive club. And his indwelling is impactful. Out of our belly flows rivers of living water. Where once flowed sin, now flows life. And the result is others get a drink of Jesus. That's the result. Because out of us flows Jesus. Let's close. Lord, I thank you for the word that we have studied today so briefly that, Lord, as we have thought upon it, you would help us to understand the importance of the truth that is here. The glory that's revealed to us that, that as it says, Paul said, don't you know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is within you. The Shekinah glory of God dwelling within men. And so, Father, we pray that from us would simply flow life to those around us, that, Father, you would help us to walk in a condition of yieldedness and surrender to your Spirit and a condition of invitation, where, Father, we would specifically ask you to take control that your Spirit may use us, that others may find life where now they only know death. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.